Hi, this is Dr. Mike Chupp, and you are listening to CMDA Matters, the weekly podcast of the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. Well, since Roe v. Wade was overruled in the Dobbs decision earlier this summer on June 24th, there is no question that the topic of abortion has ruled the airwaves. We've talked about it here on the podcast, we've read it online, we've heard about it on the news every single day, it seems. It's been everywhere, to say the least. Well, on today's episode, I've invited Dr. Joy Riley to join me for a conversation about a new book called Choose Life, which she contributed a chapter to, along with a host of other well-known authors. It's so timely, and even God ordained in its release in this cultural moment to help open hearts and minds about the atrocities of abortion. Albert Moeller said this after reviewing the book, the defense of human dignity and the sanctity of human life is one of the central and inescapable tasks of today's Christians. In that task, we need every hand on deck. In Choose Life, a first-rank team of Christian defenders of life addresses some of the most pressing questions of our day, and with conviction, they counter some of the most influential arguments coming from abortion supporters. This book is timely, urgently so, and will be a great encouragement to Christians in the battle for life." End quote. And by the way, today I invited a new voice to join us on CMDA Matters, our public policy specialist, Mr. J.C. Bisek, who himself is in the middle of a master's in bioethics at Trinity University. So please join J.C. and me for this encouraging conversation with Dr. Riley, who is the chair of our CMDA Ethics Committee, as we learn more about how to address theological, philosophical, legal, spiritual, and practical concerns about abortion through this new book, Choose Life. Well, today on CMDA Matters, I am so delighted to have Dr. Joy Riley. Joy is a, a physician who got her undergraduate degree from the University of Louisville in Kentucky, and then went on to medical school at the University of Kentucky in Lexington. After medical school, she did an internship and residency in the Department of Internal Medicine at Jewish Hospital of St. Louis in St. Louis, Missouri, and eventually went on to become board certified in internal medicine. Later developed an interest, and we'll hear about that in just a few minutes, in bioethics, and so got a master's degree from Trinity International University in Deerfield, Illinois, uh, back in 2005, and has pursued bioethics in many significant ways, not the least of which is that she founded the Tennessee Center for Bioethics and Culture back in 2005, and after her graduation from Trinity and the CBHD, became an adjunct professor of bioethics at Trinity Graduate School. And I know a number of our members uh, have been a part of her classes over the years as they have pursued a master's in bioethics. Joy is uh, married to Lewis for 45 years, and they have three sons, Ian, Tristan, and Grant. So welcome to our program today, Joy. I even left out the Colson Fellow Program or Centurion Program that you uh, did a number of years ago as well. Oh, good morning, Mike. Thank you for having me on the program. 
Yes, I forget some of my history as well. So, and I sometimes I feel like a Jill of all trades and master of none. But at any rate, uh, I'm grateful for the many experiences I've had, both educationally, uh, formally, and informally. Well, for strategic reasons, I'm joined today by Mr. J.C. Bisek, who has been with us not quite a year at CMDA is a public policy specialist, a role that he went full-time in just a few months ago. So welcome to CMDA Matters, JC. Good morning. Thanks for having me, Mike. So JC, actually, uh, Joy is t- working on his master's in bioethics there at the Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity. Have, have you been in any of Dr. Riley's classes today? Uh, there's actually a, a video lecture that I um, watched this summer um, with Dr. Riley. So that was very interesting on the history of bioethics. Very good. So, Joy, what an influence you're having uh, inside and outside of CMDA these days. Well, thank you again for joining us. And there's several reasons that we decided to invite you on to the weekly program. But before we jump into one of those, which is a, a new book out this summer called Choose Life, how did you decide to go down this path of studying uh, bioethics and teaching it? Well, actually, I've had an interest in ethics for years. When I was in college, I took the medical ethics course. I did a lot of philosophy courses in undergrad. And uh, Richard Barber, who was at University of Louisville, taught that course in undergraduate. So I enjoyed that class. And in medical school, I took medical ethics. Sad to say it was an elective. (laughs) But at any rate, at that point in time, ethics were more caught than taught. Mm-hmm. And I think that was true for my medical exposure, my, my experience, both in medical school as well as residency and fellowship. After uh, several years uh, post-residency, I came away from medicine and uh, I actually homeschooled our children for a while. And I told my husband, I'd like to go back to school. And he said, what would you like to do? I said, well, I'd like to get a master's in bioethics. And I, I was ready to answer when the question came. So I said, I want to go to Trinity. I, was, I had been aware of that program for some time. And so that's what I did. Well, earlier this year, you graciously agreed to take over as chair of the Ethics Committee for CMDA, a very important uh, committee. What sorts of new topics have you and the committee been working on and have put out uh, even this year? This year, we worked on a statement on, uh, as an ad hoc committee, actually, but um, duty to care in relation to vaccine choice. Basically, there are some uh, voices in the culture that have recommended against treating people who have not received the COVID vaccine. And that's a discriminatory stance. Our ad hoc committee, which was primarily uh, mostly the ethics committee, uh, considers treating of all persons, regardless of vaccine status, a matter of justice. And if you look at the Judeo-Christian tradition, persons are viewed as created equally or equal and therefore equally deserving of our care and respect. So we can't force a medical intervention onto a patient who has decision-making capacity. That's the thesis of our statement on duty to care in relation to the vaccine choice. Secondly, uh, we've been dealing with issues of moral distress and moral injury, and it's helpful to remember the difference. Moral distress and moral injury both occur when a person's moral agency is constrained. That means you can't do what you think you ought to do, or you're being compelled to do something you think you should not do, or you know you should not do. And it's called moral distress when it's happening now, or there's an opportunity to ameliorate it in some way. Moral injury is the term for when the time to correct that is past. 
So it's something that's happened in the past and you can't do anything about that. You live with the memories. So those are issues that lead often to burnout in physicians and other healthcare personnel. And these are things we need to be paying attention to. On the horizon, uh, near horizon is the issue of surrogacy. And the worry here is about commodification of people, a commodification of human life, trafficking in human beings, turning people, particularly children, into products. And fourthly, we are looking at biomedical futility. That's when you have interventions that really are not going to be able to turn the person around. So the person is imminently dying and there's sometimes request or desire for certain interventions, which will either be continually or repeatedly needed over a very short period of time before the patient's inevitable death. So we're going to be looking at biomedical futility as well. This topic of moral distress and moral injury, I think, is going to become even more cogent as we move forward in a culture where our members, other healthcare professionals, are being asked to do things that they really don't feel comfortable with. And as you know, and our listeners have heard us talk about frequently, is we're working in the courts to try to get those things stopped. But still, the issue of the distress of being asked to participate in procedures and in treatments that you disagree with is going to raise the level of moral distress among our members. This has been a big summer for the pro-life uh, movement, of course, with the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And uh, I'm just amazed at a book and some authors that brought several very gifted and experienced pro-life voices together. How did you get involved in uh, Why Autonomy? In early 2020, I was approached by editors Pfeiffer and Goodrich. I had written previously for Moody, and so perhaps that's why I was on their radar. But at any rate, I was approached then to respond to the pro-abortion slash pro-choice claim, my body, my choice. So it became a chapter about autonomy based on that. Auto, uh, autonomy comes from two Greek words, autos and nomos, uh, meaning self-rule. And as you know, and as many of the listeners know, it's also one of the four principles of biomedical ethics, otherwise called the Georgetown mantra. Increasingly, autonomy is seen as the trump card of those four, the others being uh, beneficence, doing good for someone, non-maleficence, not doing evil, and then the issue of justice, which is usually regarded as fairness. Autonomy, I think, needs to be addressed in the culture. We need to think about the ideology of that and the use thereof. So those are the things that brought it to mind for me. Dr. Riley, this is JC. Uh, really, uh, I loved reading through the book, but in the intro, it sounds like in the intro to your chapter, it sounds like you know a lot of women who have had an abortion. How do you interact with them on that topic? I will say this. I think we all know a lot of women who have had abortions. We just don't know that we know women who've had abortions. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. So I have had a number of friends uh, who, or I have a number of friends who have had abortions. And basically about those that I know about, if it comes up, then we talk about it. I have told a couple of them that I wrote this chapter. And so uh, they would not be opposed to that, uh, quite frankly, because they have, they have seen in their own lives the devastating effects of abortion. I try to keep an open mind knowing that, you know, it could be any woman I know. Then a couple other things. I remember when I was being interviewed 
about this book. And that pa- that previous weekend, some women had disrupted a service at the uh, Joel Osteen's church down in Texas. And it's not known for its controversy necessarily in, t- in these terms. But someone said, what do you think about that? And I said, well, when I see those women who are very angry, very distressed and acting out, I try to remember that their lives have probably been affected by abortion. In fact, the question that comes to mind, and I'm not a psychiatrist, so you know, pardon me for being the armchair psychiatrist here, but part of me thinks, how old were you when you had your first abortion? And I've noticed that acting out and being angry, that's not restricted to women. I mean, there are men who are hurting as well, and they're often angry. Other emotions and mood changes uh, may be involved. So I try to keep that in mind, especially when you see someone very publicly being angry and distressed. They're, they're often in pain, I think. That's a great way to be gracious. Could you also tell us, in, in responding to supporters of abortion or, or those who we normally call pro-choice, um, what do you hope this book will accomplish? Oh my, I hope that it will be, at the beginning at least, a pebble in their shoe something that gets their attention and they can't shake the idea that they need to be attending to this. I hope that those who are quote pro-choice or pro-abortion would read the book and consider what the rich history of pro-life work has to share with them. And moreover, I hope they would know that they are not judged or condemned by this book. It's a book to help us all think carefully through some very important issues. Well, Dr. Riley, as I read through your chapter a couple of times on autonomy as part of principalism, as you reminded us, several things that I learned, one very basic that I really can't believe that I've never thought about before, and that is the physician-patient relationship and how it's nothing like a contractual relationship, that it is a covenantal relationship, much like marriage, and we uh, have a God that we worship that's a God of covenant. Unpack that a little bit for our listeners about how we enter into a covenant with patients. I think maybe one of my family members might provide a foil for this, which may or may not be appreciated on that person's part. But recently, a member of my family went to an auto parts store. And he was told even there that it was probably an alternator problem, but he demanded that a battery be sold him. So a battery was sold to him. That is a customer provider relationship. When someone with abdominal pain comes to a physician, it should be a different scenario. If that patient with abdominal pain demands a CT of the head and the physician complies without good reason, then that physician has become a provider. Physicians typically take an oath to care for their patients for their good and not to do them harm. And when you have an oath, that is a covenantal relationship. You involve, as Nigel Cameron says, a vertical piece as well as a horizontal. For a Christian physician, that vertical piece is your responsibility to God to fulfill your duties to your fellow man, fellow human being. In the uh, ancient days, the Greeks swore to a panoply of gods, and that was their vertical axis, and then their horizontal axis was taking care of patients. But a covenantal relationship is very different than a contractual relationship. 
a covenantal relationship means that you perform your side of the covenant no matter what the other person does. Think of God and Abraham. So I don't know if that answers your question. It certainly does. And as I think back over my surgical practice, there were lots of surprises along the way. And if our relationship had been governed by a contract, my patient would have been in big trouble in terms of what came along over time, other things that followed in the post-op course. And so a covenant is much more likely to result in a surgeon or an internist getting up in the middle of the night and going above and beyond, maybe even a basic call of duty to provide services for a patient. And in terms of the realm of, of abortion on demand, how do you see that coming into play in terms of these rebuttals or answering key claims of abortion defenders? Well, when you have a covenantal relationship, you're really seeking the best for that person. And Pellegrino and Tomasma have written extensively on the virtues in medical practice. And, and those books are also very, very helpful in this regard. When a pregnant woman presents to you, there is not just one patient, but two. Any OBGYN worth his, his or her salt knows this. You need to keep in mind that there are two patients here. It would be, I think, anathema to treat one without treating both because there are effects. And so, I mean, you consider that when you're administering any medication, that's why they have black box warnings on medications. That's why certain drugs aren't given to pregnant women. And truthfully, insurers know this, malpractice insurers know this, they know that there are two patients there. So we need to keep in mind that there are two patients and not just one. The pro-choice so-called or pro-abortion model says it's only one patient, but that is patently not true. Dr. Riley, how do you think that this book will serve uh, as a resource for our busy members? Millions of women in the U.S. have had abortions, and many are considering it even now. According to the Human Coalition, every 30 seconds, a child's life is taken by abortion. Now, that was uh, obviously a quote before uh, Roe v. Wade fell. But I think this book could be helpful in helping people understand the issues helping people understand the rich philosophical and theological underpinnings of uh, the pro-life position. I think that they can understand better, hopefully, the law, what I call the law of the harvest. That's not original with me, but what we sow, we reap. So, you know, if you plant bean seeds, you can't expect to grow corn. If you hold an apple out in midair and drop it, it's going to fall. So for everything we do, there are consequences. By the same token, we cannot destroy our children and expect no consequences. And I think that this book helps with that, helps people think through these issues more. I hope that our members would first and foremost embrace children and families, their own and those of others, in a way of accepting them as living life with us. We need to support pregnancy centers, crisis pregnancy centers like Compass Care Pregnancy Centers and, and others. There are thousands of them across the U.S. There are many organizations in which people can get involved, like Right to Life or 40 Days for Life, Human Coalition, and that's just naming a few. We need to support adoption in our families, in our homes, in our churches, in our communities. I have a friend who runs an organization called Both Hands, where they basically support a widow and orphans by doing work to rehabilitate uh, widows' homes 
the materials are donated and people commit to to give funds for this work but the funds don't go to the workers or to for the materials the funds go to fund an adoption and then educate yourself uh, you know our we all need to educate ourselves regarding the resources that are available like Rachel's vineyard or sisters of life who minister to abortion vulnerable or post-abortive women so those are some ideas that come to mind. Talk just a little bit about your conclusion that the whole idea of abortion on demand leaves some victims in its wake. I mean, one of those is very obvious, but maybe there's a professional victim as well. I think that's true. Uh, so often the claim that it's my body, my choice, but then that person's choice calls forth a responsibility on somebody else to perform a procedure. So it's not just their body that's being involved. And obviously, the body that's growing within her is not having a choice exercised here. It's too young to make a choice. So that that child is not exercising autonomy. The physician, the nurse involved, whoever is uh, the pharmacist, perhaps, all of these people are involved in because of one person's, quote, autonomy, which seems to be the trump card for everybody else's autonomy so somebody other people don't get to perform autonomously and there is a cost i mean uh i quoted in in my chapter about um some studies of nurses who've been involved with abortion and some of the the toll on their lives so you have in this situation of one person exerting an quote autonomous choice in her wake are the child or children, the physicians, the nursing staff, all the clinic personnel. Uh, well, actually, it's not a clinic. I, I refuse to call an abortion center a clinic because that's not an abortion, in my opinion, and, and it truly is not health care. So the abortion center staff, as well as any pharmacist involved. Then you have on the other side, which isn't publicized, you have people, women who've had abortions and who have complications but the abortionist has gone home. There is no one there to answer her questions or to tend to her when she's bleeding. And so she presents to another emergency room and someone else has to figure out what's happened and take care of her because the abortionist has been paid for the abortion, but aftercare is not part of that. We hear every day the term healthcare provider. Can you oh. tell us? How should our members and, and even our, our more lay audience feel about the idea of provider, healthcare provider, uh, especially versus uh, healthcare professional? A provider, like I pointed out with the auto parts store, that's what they do. They provide you what you want. And lots of people come to medicine thinking that they know what they want. That's not always true, but more than, more importantly, it's an uneven relationship because the physician and other healthcare professionals have been trained in issues of uh, disease and pathophysiology as well as pharmacology and help for the maladies. So I think one should approach them with the, the uh, professionals with caution and certainly do not use the word provider. <laughs> Thank you for joining us on CMDA Matters, uh, Dr. Riley, and we'll look forward to hearing from you in the future and from the Ethics Committee as our board deliberates. Uh, trust that we'll be able to have the statement on moral distress and moral injury in healthcare online in the next couple of months. Well, God bless you, Dr. Riley. Hope to have you back sometime on CMDA Matters. Thank you very much for having me.
I'm guessing that if you're listening to this podcast, there's a strong chance that you are pro-life. But can you explain why? You already believe in choosing life. It's very much integrated into God's word. But when the counter arguments are coming at you from every angle, how do you defend the pro-life view? And as you defend it, how do you speak with wisdom, humility, and especially with compassion? Now more than ever, the times call for a balance of truth and mercy. There are good, wise, and thoughtful rebuttals of every claim made by pro-abortion advocates. Collected here in one place, this book, Choose Life, offers you reasonable responses from leading experts in their respective fields. The authors are accomplished women and men from all walks of life who are just like Dr. Riley. They'll help you know what to say and why to say it with compassionate, grace-filled Christian love. You can get your copy of Choose Life in the CMDA bookstore at cmda.org bookstore. Plus, we have a host of other resources on this very topic that could prove extremely helpful for you as you have these important conversations with friends, with coworkers, and with women who are hurting from abortions in the past. Right now, healthcare professionals like you and like me have a unique opportunity to stand in the gap for these women facing unplanned pregnancies. Too often, I'm afraid, these women feel abandoned, maybe misunderstood or even hated by Christians who get lost in the abortion debate. God has called us to stand in the gap for those who are hurting. And women who are facing unplanned pregnancies are hurting. Many are caught in incredibly difficult circumstances and they see abortion as their only way out. Friends, it's up to us to reach out in compassion and love, giving them alternatives and supporting them with practical resources. So let me encourage you to prayerfully consider getting involved in CMDA's grassroots advocacy efforts in your own state. Find the pregnancy centers, church ministries, and other resources that are near you. For help, you can visit cmda.org or contact advocacy at cmda.org. You can also download our ethics statement about abortion. It was updated recently to share with your colleagues and friends. Plus, you can even earn continuing education credits with this statement in the CMDA Learning Center by going to cmda.org learning. And please continue to pray for CMDA, the advocacy team, and members like you to always be faithful in our mission to educate, encourage, and equip Christian healthcare professionals to glorify God. Part of that mission involves following the clear biblical instruction to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, ensure justice for those being crushed, Solomon said in Proverbs 31.8. Well, speaking of equipping healthcare professionals, be sure to check out the Bioethics Master's Program at Trinity International University. The program is designed for recent college graduates and working professionals who desire a foundation in bioethics for their studies, jobs, and public engagement. Healthcare professionals, scientists, lawyers, clergy, and others can benefit from this flexible 36-semester-hour program. It's well-suited, especially to those 
with heavy professional responsibilities like many of you listening. The program can be completed without relocating, making it an excellent choice for students who are committed to ministry and professional life in a different location. And Dr. Riley could even be one of your professors. For more information, just visit tiu.edu today. And don't forget to check out Dr. Riley's Tennessee Center for Bioethics and Culture. You can find it online by going to tennesseecbc.org, or you can find the link in our show notes today. If you enjoyed today's episode, then I hope you will plan on joining us next year at the 2023 CMDA National Convention being held in Cincinnati from April 27th through the 30th. We will certainly be discussing issues like abortion, right of conscience, and much more at this premier event for healthcare professionals. Our speakers for next year will include Dr. Jerome Adams, who's the former U.S. Surgeon General, Dr. Daryl Bach from Dallas Theological Seminary, Dr. Katie Butler, author and trauma surgeon from Harvard, who was a guest with me on CMDA Matters last year, and many more. And last year, friends, we sold out early, so don't wait to register for this year. There is such value as well as support in joining together with your CMDA family at the convention each year. You'll find more information and you can register by just visiting natcon.cmda.org. God willing, I'll be back next week with an interview about a mission outreach to the Muslim community in the Middle East. So be sure to tune in. As always, if you'd like to suggest a future guest for the podcast, one that you've been hoping that we would interview, you can email it to us at cmdamatters at cmda.org. And if you like our podcast, be sure to give us a five-star rating and share us on your favorite social media platform. I want to close our episode today with this scripture verse from Psalm 127, verse 3, which says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Through his word and psalms and other books through the Bible, our Lord and Savior gives us the knowledge, the wisdom, and the love to follow his commands and protect life, including the life of the preborn. I hope and pray that today's episode and this new book, Choose Life, will arm you, friend, with the right words to say as you speak love and truth to women and men who have and continue to face the harms of abortion. And as you do so, you will bring the hope and healing of Christ to the world around you. That's what matters to CMDA, and CMDA matters. We'll see you next week, friends, God willing. This podcast has been a production of the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. The opinions expressed by guests on this podcast are not necessarily endorsed by the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. CMDA is a nonpartisan organization that does not endorse political parties or candidates for public office. The views expressed on this podcast reflect judgments regarding principles and values held by CMDA and its members and are not intended to imply endorsement of any political party or candidate.